You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Well, I wonder, I wonder what uh, the answer was. I don't know if, if you, you're so good at the meet and greet. You know, just we, you get a hint of it and you're into it. So I don't know if you actually heard my invitation to ask the person next to you what their favorite Christmas carol is. Did anyone, did anyone get to that vital, vital question? Yeah, a few did. What were, what were some of the favorites? This is where you dob in a neighbor. Carols, hark the herald angels sing. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a wonderful wonderful one. Who who else? What were some of the other favourites? Mary, did you know? Yeah, that'll be Andrea's. Yeah, whose mother is Mary? Different Mary. Yeah. Um, who, anyone else? What Frank? Joy to the world. Yeah, that that is um, that is a beauty as well. Yeah, Heather. Silent night. Yeah, was that Suze? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very, very special. All of these, all of these will be singing at the carols, no doubt. I don't know. I really don't know. Um, any, any other favourites? What about somebody, somebody under the age of 20? What's your favourite? The first, the, the first Noel. Yep, yep. <laughs> Dave doesn't count. Oh, 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 it was Alicia's, was it? Okay, that does count, yes. <laughs> and and oh, oh, Holy Night, yeah, Bethany, that's a, that's a beauty, beauty. Lovely school graduation too, by the way. You, you did great, you did great. Well, I, I don't know, I recall um, just being struck one day, I, as a young man um, sitting in church and and again, it was, it was kind of that time of the year we started to sing Christmas carols. And I wasn't a big fan, to be quite honest. But on this occasion, the Spirit of God just did something to me. And, and I suddenly, suddenly recall that these carols that I had, I had heard since I was a child, that I had sung since I was a child, that honestly, to be quite, to be quite frank, they did not move me whatsoever. Uh, they'd become so familiar, they'd become, you know, just, just old. And, and I recall sitting in church on one occasion, and I was just singing the words like you do, but all of a sudden it all changed in a moment. I was singing the words, Oh, come, all ye faithful. And suddenly I did not, I did not just hear myself just singing that, you know, uh, very, very familiar phrase again and again. But but all of a sudden, I actually heard a call from my heavenly Father. I actually heard, as it were, God saying to his people, O oh, come, O oh, come, all my faithful ones. O oh, come, 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 my faithful ones. Come, come to me. Come and adore. Come and see what I have done. All of a sudden, it took on a whole new meaning. It, and I re- recall actually being so overwhelmed, I was, I was moved to tears as I heard the cry of my father calling all of his faithful ones to come, to come and worship, to come and see this, this great thing that he has done. You know, it's an interesting thing, and I guess we often ascribe it to tradition, but it's an interesting thing that at such a time of the year, we, we do have so many special songs that that are particularly attributed to the Christmas story. And perhaps not so surprising, when we understand the Scripture itself, far from being silent, it's just full of songs. There's four particular songs, actually, in Luke chapters 1 and 2. And, 
And this particular Advent, we've sort of chosen to, to um, target a couple of very, very special Christmas carols, a couple. And, and, and there's one for us today, and, and you can be sitting there guessing, which one, which one, which one? I'm not going to tell you just yet. But there's, there's a, a couple of Christmas carols that just have some particularly special lyrics. And we're going to focus, focus on them over the, over the next few weeks um, of Advent but in doing so, we're keeping good company. Luke himself, as I say, in chapters 1 and 2, there are four songs there. There's the Magnificat, which means, simply means glorifies. Most of you will know that as Mary's song. That's in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and following. Um, there's the Benedictus, which, which means praise be. That's in Luke 167. You'll know that as Zachariah's song. And basically, he starts, praise be to God. There's the very, very familiar one. I think everybody knows this. Gloria in excelsis Deo, meaning glory to God in the highest. And that's in Luke chapter 2, um, verses 13. That is the angel's song. And then there is Nunc Dimittis, which means now dismiss. And that is Simeon's song. And that's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 29. There are these four songs. It's, this is one of those events in Scripture where everybody is actually singing. And they're singing some wonderful theology as well. And we're going to, we're going to have a little bit of a look at, at um, a song that the Spirit of God, it seems, has continued throughout the church age to prompt his people to sing about this glorious, glorious event. And we will get to that song in just a moment. But one of, the, of those four songs, I guess the better known one and the shortest one, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, Glory to God in the Highest, the angel song, I wonder whether it isn't just a little bit of a hint of, of what was going on in heaven. Can you imagine that moment where Father God reveals that I'm sending my son. I'm sending my son, Jesus. I know that the world is lost. I know that they are without hope. But I've promised them. I've always promised them. I would send them someone. I would send them the anointed one. The Messiah. The Christ, and, and he reveals this plan in heaven. And can you imagine for a moment? Now, I, I don't quite know how communication works in the heavenly realm. We know that there will be singing too from Revelation. You know, we know that uh, there are angels and seraphim and cherubim, and they're, they're constantly singing praise to God. And, and so something about revelation and, and response happens through song in the heavenly realm but, but is there other avenues of communication? When, when Father God announces, I'm sending my son to them, was there, was there any questions? Was there a little bit of nudging? Would one of the angels say to another, oh, oh I, d I don't know that this will go well. Was there whispering amongst the angels? Did, did any of them dare to say, <clears throat> far be it from me to question you, God? But you know what the hearts of mankind are like. They'll reject him. Would somebody else have dared to pipe up and say, mm, I, I, I think he's right. And, and you know what the schemes of the enemy are. Enemy, ah, they'll crucify him. And if that conversation ever did take place, and if those doubts ever were whispered to God... Could it be that our Heavenly Father simply responded, 
Yes. Yes. That's the plan. The cradle will forever be in the shadow of the cross. The passion narrative that we focus on at Easter actually starts here. This is how I'm going to save mankind. So I guess with that backdrop, when God chooses to reveal this marvelous plan to mankind, and he's, well, he's, he's mentioned it, of course, to Joseph, and he's mentioned it to Mary, and, and Elizabeth and Zechariah know, and he's, he's just got some, some great news, and he's dying to share it with others, and it's a little bit of, who else can I tell? And there are, there are magi far away who are starting to see things as they study the stars that have them very, very curious. And so they start a journey. And then out in the fields are your blue-collar shepherds. And God says, <laughs> I'm going to tell them. I can't hold back. I'm going to tell someone. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them what I've done. I'm going to tell them that this, this very night, the Savior of the world has been born. And so he sends one of his messengers and, and he delivers this message to, to the shepherds. And they're, they're, they're just struck with fear. What could this mean? But as they are put at ease and as this revelation, this news is told, it is backed up with heaven's song. And you may figure that heaven's song is going to be a little bit of a, a lament, maybe a dirge, maybe the sort of song, a sad song that you're going to sing because you know how this goes. But no, but no, we have the song Glory to God in the highest. There are no question marks regarding his sovereign plan and this marvelous thing that he has done. Now, you might think that that's the song that I'm going to talk about today. Gloria and Excelsis Deo. No, no, I'm leaving that for Sam. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Sam may have another plan. But, but it is a very interesting insight into what was going on in the heavenlies as the angels sing praises to God as they glorify the Lord. We often pray, do we not? Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and so it's not that surprising perhaps that we should see this theme of, of glory to God that is being sung in the heavenlies now come to earth and the angels sing it. But, but it's no surprise that in Mary's song, that's exactly how she starts as well. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, they are praising God. They're, they're singing his praises and just glorifying God for this marvelous plan, this amazing thing that he is about to do. And so Mary follows. And she says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of his humbles, the humble state of his servant. 
From now on, generations will call me blessed, says Mary, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary, in her humble estate, has just received good news that God is mindful of her. She is not forgotten. She is not forgotten, nor is Israel. God has remembered. God has come. God has done a marvelous thing. So she sings, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Hers is a song that gives glory to God, but hers is a song of joy. We had a special Sunday last Sunday, and we had the opportunity. I, um, I don't know if you were able to join us or not, but we had the opportunity to pray for many people, anointing them with oil and, and asking for a special blessing upon them. In a sense, a little bit like Mary's prayer, I guess many people were just asking, Lord, here is your servant. Would you please remember my, my humble state? Would you please remember me? Would you please bring your touch to bear upon my life and my situation? And, and some have reported already some very, very special moments with the Lord in which he has, he has answered and his touch has been quite immediate. For others, you are waiting and I encourage you, keep waiting, I'm waiting, keep waiting. My thinking about timing and God answering prayers is this. Okay, yeah, I'd like my answer now. But if you can be somehow glorified even more, by delaying this prayer another day, then so be it. So be it. Whatever brings you the greatest glory. I want my answer now, but if, if I have to wait to tomorrow and you'll get more glory because of that, praise be to God. Let it be. Let it be. So maybe you have your answer now. Maybe you don't have your answer just yet. Trust God. He's got you covered. He's hurt you. He never, never forgets his humble servants. Just wait. Hold on to him. Trust him. He will answer in time in a way that gives him the greatest glory. So how is it, sometimes in the midst of, of difficulty and challenge, that we, can, that we can sing songs of joy as well? Maybe this Advent, the carols are going to you know, start playing in your home. Maybe they've been playing in your office. Maybe you're lucky. You've been one of those offices where they've been playing since July. That's, that's our office. Uh, maybe, maybe that's the case. But how can you, as you hear songs of joy, carols singing of, of joy to the world and so forth, how can that be your experience? How can you rise up like Mary and say, glory to God, 
you know, and I rejoice in the Lord. How can that joy be yours, particularly if you're, if you're waiting? Henry Van Dyke, a name you may not know, an American author and hymn writer. Now we're getting to which hymn are you going to talk about, Stuart? I believe that that was, that was the case for, for him. He's, he's written a number of great poems and, and so forth. Here are some of his quotes, just so you get to like the guy. Um, he had, um, oh, there's many, many quotes. He was, you know, just very, very, very good with the pen. Um, in, in terms of everyday life, he, would, he said this, look around for a place to sow a few seeds. That was his kind of approach to every day. Every day. Look around you for a place to just sow a few, a few seeds. I like him. Um, this is what he said. This is what he said just about getting along with one another. Uh, here's another of his quotes. There are two good rules which ought to be written on every heart. One, never to believe anything about another person unless you positively know it to be true. Two, and then never tell another person unless you feel it absolutely necessary and you know that God is listening. That's not a bad little rule, is it? Isn't that great? He, he's got many, many quotes. And, and he wrote a song which we often call the hymn of joy. You might know it better as joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. The interesting thing is, before we I put, put the words before you and so forth, the interesting thing is that, that his, his time and the, the 1906, 1907, when he was writing this, it was far from a perfect time. Politically, things were shifting in Europe, and this would lead up to, of course, World War I. But here's a few things just to give you what was going on in Henry's life around this time. Well, Henry was in America, but, but all over the world, these sorts of things were happening. Arthur Korn transmits a photograph electronically over a distance of 1,800 kilometers, first time it had ever been done. Reginald um, Fessenden makes the first radio broadcast. A German surgeon performs the first so-called sex reassignment surgery. Richard Oldham argues that the Earth has a molten interior after a huge, uh, a huge eruption in um, uh, Los Angeles. Albert Einstein introduces the principle of uh, equivalence in gravitation and inertia. Ivan Pavlov demonstrates the conditioned responses with salivating dogs. Peking to Paris motor race is won by an Italian prince after just two months of driving. And then, politically speaking, Having been defeated by Japan, Russia focuses attention on Europe. Tensions build between them and Austria-Hungary. Britain and France enter an alliance with, with Russia. And the scene is set for World War I. All of this was happening around the time that, that Henry was, was writing. And, and this is in his introduction to the hymn. This is what he says. He says... These verses, we'll have a look at them in a moment, these verses are simple expressions of common Christian feelings and desires in this present time. They are hymns that may be sung together by people who know the thought of the age and are not afraid that any truth of science will destroy religion or any revolution on earth overthrow the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, this is a hymn of trust and joy 
and hope. Get a feel for the faith of Henry Van Dyke. This is a little bit of, of the background as, as he, he writes this hymn. When he speaks of joy, here's one more quote of his. When he speaks of joy, he does not see it as something that is a response to, to external stimuli. Not at all. In fact, he, he says, happiness is inward, not outward. And so it does not depend on what we have, but on who we are. Let me put up the first, the first chorus of, of Hymn of Joy, and, and I think we've, we've got it up there for, for you to read. The first, the first chorus is, is really joyous adoration. This is a declaration. Joyous adoration is what we are actually made for. He, he says this, Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts, I love this. This is, this is poetic, isn't it? Hearts unfold like flowers before the opening to the sun above. And then as if to say, but, but, but help us here. This is what we are made for. We are made to be joyful beings, but... But help us a little bit here. Help me a little bit here. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness. Fill us with the, the light of day. Beautiful, huh? The next, next verse. And this is, this is his understanding that all of heaven and earth really show us how to do this joy, joy-filled life. So he says, all thy works with joy, they surround thee. Earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels, this is what's happening in the heavenly realm. Stars and angels sing around thee in a center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird and flowing fountain, they all call us to rejoice in thee. If you could picture what's happening in heaven right now and look around you at this beautiful earth, it all calls us to praise God and rejoice in Him. But here's that bit where you say, okay, yeah, well, the, sometimes that, that happens. Sometimes I'm, I'm driving along and I, I see a little bird and, or I see a tree or I see a mountain. In fact, um, apparently the Berkshire Mountains in the U.S. were part of the inspiration for for Henry when he wrote this. So certainly he understood the beauty of God's creation and how it calls us to, to have joy and to praise God. But, but, but it doesn't always work that way, does it? Sometimes the, the external stimuli in our life, it, it, it doesn't really trigger thoughts of joy. Sometimes life is tough, it's hard, and, and then where does joy come from? Well, in the, in the next verse, he acknowledges that it's got to be an inward thing. He goes on and he says, Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. Let me pause there. Here he is talking about those who know that they are forgiven by God, that they have been cleansed of sin. Those, those people, they have a wellspring of joy within them. The Spirit of God actually residing within them, abiding within them. And that brings an ocean depth of happy rest. Wow. 
Then he goes on, Thou the Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine, yours. Teach us how to love each other. Lift us. Do the impossible. Do the thing that we can't do. Do the thing because it's a cloudy day and my, my worries surround me and external stimuli just isn't doing it for me. Please, Lord, do the thing I can't do. Lift me to that joy divine. And so he, he cries out in this verse, God, make it so. Do what I cannot do. Make it so because you reside within me. You live within me. Give me the joy that is firstly yours. Your joy, your peace, make it mine. Jesus said, did he not in John 17, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Part of his glory is a peace and part of his glory is a joy and part of his glory is a love that is perfect in every way. I've mentioned this before. When you think of the most joyous, peaceful, or loving being that there possibly is, do you naturally think of God? Do you think of anyone happier than God? Do you think of anyone more loving than God? Do you think of anyone more filled with, with joy or peace than God? That's, that's who he is. He epitomizes that. That's his glory. And Jesus says, I pray that your glory would be theirs. I have given them the glory that you gave me. The Father gives that glory to the Son. The Son gives that glory to us. That glory resides in you and I. That joy can be ours. And so, with that in mind, man, kind of puts a song in your, song in your heart, doesn't it? And so, in the last chorus, he says, okay, with that as the, as the backdrop, Here's an invitation. Join the chorus, because joy is the song of life. Mortals, join the mighty chorus, which the morning stars began. Father love is reigning over us, and brother love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music lifts us sunward in the triumph song of life. If I got to chose the name of this song, I think I would call it the song of life. Joy, for the Christian, should be the song of life. This should be our song. This should be our song. And here's an invitation for us to all come and, come and sing it together. The joy would be our song, our song of life as well, to rejoice in all that God has done. Yes, often scripture tells us rejoice, rejoice, and there's an imperative nature to it. This is something you must do, but, but rather than feel, oh, but I can't, I'm incapable. Indeed, Jesus himself has, has enabled joy to be the song of our lives as well. In John chapter 15, uh, a chapter that's fairly familiar to us here at EBC. It's all about the vine and the branches. One of the, in verse 11, one of the results of remaining or abiding in Jesus Christ is this. Chapter 15, verse 11. I have told you all of this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
the command for Christians to rejoice, to have joy, isn't, isn't an onerous command. As in, oh, I'm just down. I'm a little out of joy at the moment. And here's this command from my heavenly Father to have joy, and I, I just don't have any. It's not onerous. In those moments where we are trying to tap into a source of joy that is inexhaustible, I believe we center our minds on Jesus Christ himself. In that abiding relationship in, 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 in which coming with cleansed hearts before God, knowing that he has washed us clean, and granted us his righteousness so that we have a, a freedom to approach the throne of God. In that place, we have access to the richest and most wonderful source of joy there is. The joy that is actually Jesus' joy. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. We don't have to go find joy. We don't have to pick it up. We don't have to sift for it as if we were, were trying, to, trying to sift for gold in a, in a gold pan. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? We simply go to the source itself, Jesus who lives within, the most joyous being there ever was. And we say, Jesus, let your joy be mine. That's your promise, is it not? You promised that, that your joy would be mine. Now let it be. I just say, amen, Jesus, to all that you have promised. Let your joy be in me. Let my joy be complete. Let my joy be complete. Would you like to hear this, this song sung? Michael Bella, would you come and... And just bless us. And, and firstly, perhaps um, lead us in song and, and, and then at the, as an item and then at the appropriate time, um, invite us to join you. We'll, we'll sing too. Give 
to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.com.au.